Exodus 29, verses 35 through 56, these are God's words. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons, according to all that I have commanded you, seven days you shall consecrate them. You shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it. And the altar shall be most holy, and whatever touches the altar must be holy. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil, and one-fourth of a hin of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And you shall offer it with the grain offering and the drink offering, as in the morning, for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to Yahweh. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before Yahweh, where I will meet to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am Yahweh their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am Yahweh their God. So he gives us not just the seven days worth of sacrifices for the priests and for the altar and for the tabernacle, um, but also the daily sacrifices for the tabernacle and for the people. Uh, and the intricacy of the sacrifices and the continual repetition of the sacrifices point to the fact that the sacrifices can't atone or consecrate so much as it is God himself who atones and consecrates. He makes his people holy so that he not only is he their God and redeems them from their sin, but so that he may dwell among them and they may enjoy forever belonging to him and his belonging to them. And so one of the things that um, uh, that we see is uh, all of the death and hell that Aaron and his sons would have known that they deserved every time they put their hand uh, on an animal. It was immediately killed like they deserved to die. It was then immediately burned like they deserved to burn. That this would be repeated for seven days, and there would be an indication here of completeness. It's interesting, isn't it, that he creates in six days, but he redeems uh, as far as the consecration here and the atoning for the altar and for the priests uh, in seven. Uh, and yet the perfection at the cross comes uh, not as something that is pictured or pointed to or communicated by a certain number, but it comes in the reality of a person who is God himself, dying for his church, purchasing the church 
with his own blood. Uh, And so the Lord Jesus does in a few hours uh, on the cross, not just what would have taken seven days, but what after over a thousand years of sacrifices still had not been accomplished because the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. Uh, And so this repetition for seven days would point them uh, to how all of these things needed a cleansing that had not yet been ultimately or effectively provided. The priests need cleansing. That's the point of verse 35 and the first half of verse 36. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons, according to all that I have commanded you, seven days shall you consecrate them. The altar needs cleansing, verse 36 and 37. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the whole altar shall be most holy. The people uh, need cleansing. Uh, These two lambs. Uh, day by day, continually, one in the morning, one in the evening, um, with a grain offering. Uh, and uh, throughout your generations, uh, at the door of the tabernacle, this day by day meeting. Why? Because there is where Yahweh will meet with Moses to speak with him, and there specifically, there I will meet with the children of Israel. Uh, And so the people need this continual, um, well, they need a full uh, cleansing if God is going to be with them and they are going to be with him. Um, And so it's not just uh, the, the burnt offerings and the sin offerings and the peace offerings that need to be gathered. There's a maintenance offering, as it were, a reminder that there is still a death to be died and a hell to be paid, uh, and that the blood that is shed is what atones for them and sets them apart as holy so that they may have dwell God dwell among them uh, and yet be safe and have his favor. So the priest needs cleansing, the altar need cleansing, needs cleansing, the people need cleansing, even the tabernacle needs cleansing. And there's an uh, <coughs> indication here isn't there that there that it isn't the um, <clears throat> the blood of the the uh, beasts that is uh, making all of these things holy? Look at the end of verse forty three. There I will meet with the children of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. Uh, and the it is the tabernacle. The New King James uh, supplies that there. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. Uh, You notice the difference there. Uh, He had said, you shall consecrate them, verse 35. You make atonement for it, verse 36. You shall make atonement, uh, verse 37. But now we see what is really going on here is that the... Uh, the infinitely glorious triune God is the one who is actually doing the sanctifying because in him is the plan and purpose of redemption. In him 
is the consideration of that which is certain, because God has committed himself to it, that God himself would become a man, and that he would shed his blood and die and redeem for himself, atone uh, for his people by his own blood. Uh, and we're going to see this pretty soon in Acts, in Acts chapter 20, um, and I think it's verse 28, uh, where the apostles talking to the elder, the Ephesian elders, uh, and he uh, tells them to take heed uh, to themselves and to the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Uh, and there is, of course, a um, weighty, dreadful, and the uh, um, full use of that word responsibility the church has been purchased by god's blood how should how then should we esteem and value with what diligence and zeal should we serve in uh, his church but then there's also this great confidence if god has purchased the church with his blood she cannot fail she cannot but be saved redeemed consecrated made holy come at last to into that perfect holiness and perfect happiness that he has intended to give her. Uh, and so there's a wonderful turn here um, in the text at the end of verse 43, that it is God who sanctifies the tabernacle by his glory. And God who sanctifies or consecrates the tabernacle of meeting in the altar. God who consecrates Aaron and his sons to him as priests. In other words... They may be shedding animal blood and burning animals on earth, but God is already applying to them the benefits, the privileges that uh, shall be had through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the suffering of the wrath, the hell, by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And this is... Uh, this is the basis of which they have the ongoing experiential reality and really relationship uh, of verses 45 and verse 46. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am Yahweh their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am Yahweh their God. So they have their presence. I will dwell uh, among the children of Israel. And this is where uh, Jesus' two names are tied together. Um, well, he has many more than just the two, but in Matthew chapter 1, when uh, Gabriel tells Joseph um, that he is to name him Jesus, Yahweh saves, uh, for he will save his people from their sins. Uh, and then he goes on to say that it's a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, that his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. So Jesus was not just one through whom Yahweh was saving. Jesus is Yahweh who came to save, because he is also Emmanuel, God with us. And those two things are tied together here. Uh, both the atonement and then the dwelling among the children of Israel. And so when we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and when he communicates to us, the union that we have with Jesus Christ and the fellowship that we have with God the Father as his own dear children. Uh, Jesus has secured all of that 
by his cross. And truly, we already dwell with God. We have a heaven on earth uh, insofar as uh, we live conscientiously the Christian life in fellowship with God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and uh, this is one of the things that the Spirit uses to give us a great incentive to walk well with him and uh, to live in the way and according to the pattern that he has established in his word. Uh, we don't do uh, our devotions morning and evening uh, and keep the Lord's day week by week. You know, these things that are um, what uh, what is given now for the religious ceremonies, if we can even use that word for something so marvelous and simple uh, of the Christian life. We don't do those things so that we can feel good about ourselves uh, and how we are doing spiritually. We don't do those things uh, because we are somehow going to achieve our growth. Even the growing comes not by the excellence with which we attend upon the means, but the excellence of him who uses the means. But the primary reason for doing those things is because he has given us to have heaven on earth, the knowledge and fellow, knowledge of him and fellowship with him uh, upon which uh, our life is built, around which our life revolves. And that is what, uh, before God, dear children, I want for you even more, far more than your father has had it in his life. Uh, and the Lord blessing uh, our life together, our ministry in his word, using his means, uh, then uh, may he give it even more to your children than you have had it thus far. And so why did the Lord do this atoning and this consecrating? Why uh, all of these things that weren't actually accomplishing it, pointing to him who was accomplishing it and would accomplish it? First, uh, that they might have his presence. Second, that they might possess him, that he would be their God, and that they would be his people. And third, that they might perceive that that is what ha what is happening. Uh, verse 46, they shall know that I am Yahweh, their God. Uh, it is an added blessing, a different part of the blessing, uh, that we would know that he is our God. Not just that we would have him as our God. Not just that we would be his blood-bought uh, consecrated covenant people, but that we would live in the experience of it, the awareness of it. They shall know that I am Yahweh, their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt. Um, it is easy to forget our redemption later in life. Um, we are uh, we are a mentally fickle people. Things that are in the past um, fade away. Uh, some of us uh, come to faith in him so early, so young, that we can't remember um, not being saved. But even those who are saved in uh, a very uh, uh, much more punctiliar way, uh, a, uh, the word isn't violent, I'm struggling, a way that, that is obvious and very different from the unsaved moment to the saved moment in their experience, and they can remember that. The effectiveness of it fades. And so what does the Lord do? He gives us to come to him, to have fellowship with him through the blood of the Lamb, morning and evening, uh, that takes our hearts and minds back to how he redeemed us so that we might be his. 
the, the bringing us out of bondage, even the atoning for our sin, uh, that wasn't the end. That was the beginning that had as its purpose an ongoing uh, knowledge of his presence and pleasure in him uh, and dwelling with him. May the Lord uh, grant to us then uh, to have that constant pointing back to not just what Jesus has done and the fact that he has done it, uh, but what he has brought us into by doing it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you for your patience and persistence to overcome the dullness of our hearts and minds and how routine uh, our Christian lives uh, can become and not a good routine, but... um, heartless and mindless doing um, of uh, the things you have given us to do. And even, Lord, oh, forgive us, heartless and mindless slacking off uh, and not enjoying the heaven on earth that you have commanded us to have already uh, in anticipation. We pray, Lord, that you'd give us repentance, that you would renew uh, our experience of you, our perception of you, uh, and... Uh, You are binding yourself to us and us to yourself. Um, We pray that you would uh, help us to perceive these things by your spirit day by day, uh, morning by morning, evening by evening, and then week by week in the Lord's day, until at last you bring us to be perfectly holy and perfectly happy forever, when we will not be so dull. And we look forward to the day and grant, O Lord, that you would bring bring us to it safely, And bring it quickly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.